You're listening to our Southside Baptist Church podcast. For more audio content, please refer to our website. This is baptistchurch.com. All God's people said, Amen. Amen. Thank you, praise team. What a, what a great, great time of praise and worship. You know, uh, the, you know, theological terminology, sometimes this is indigenous. When, when a young African-American young man like Davion is able to take those words and put them in a form that is indigenous to his generation, to his people, and to all of us as a body of Christ. You know, this is what it's all about. Whether you're in Africa, whether you're in China, whether you're in Europe, no matter where you are, no matter what culture it may be in, God loves nothing better than for you and I to take the words that, of love that we have for him and to put that in a style, in a framework that we are comfortable with. And, and I think I, I just uh, enjoy so much when, when I just see this naturally happening. It's just a blessing. Well, if you have your Bibles, I want you to turn to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 19, beginning at verse 1. And you may be go, wow, we are still on Zacchaeus. I am so tired of Zacchaeus. No, I'm teasing. I want to ask you a question this morning, and I want you to think about it for a moment. I want you to listen closely. Has it ever occurred to you and I that God may keep you or I financially where we are because he loves us and knows what money would do to us if we had a lot of it. Now let me read it again. Let me put it in a personal pronoun for you. Has it ever occurred to you that God may keep you financially where you are because he loves you and knows what money would do to your marriage, to your family, to your life, and listen, to your soul? Because we've been looking at a man by the name of Zacchaeus, and I titled this lesson three weeks, three Sundays ago, Climbing Ladders and Climbing Trees. And if you could call this part three, uh, it is part three. And it comes from a series that I'm doing right now called Fixing Your Eyes on Jesus. But in Luke chapter 19, beginning at verse 1, Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. He wanted to see who Jesus was. But being a short man, he could not because of the crowd. So he ran ahead, climbed a sycamore tree, sycamore fig tree, to see him since Jesus was coming that way. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and he said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and he welcomed Jesus gladly. All the people saw this and they began to mutter. He has gone to be the guest of a sinner. But Zacchaeus stood up and he said to the Lord, Look, Lord, here, and now I give half of all my possessions to the poor. And if, I, and if I've cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. 
Jesus said to Zacchaeus, today salvation has come to this house because this man too is a son of Abraham for the son of man came to seek and to save that which was lost. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you. We love you. We give you all glory. Lord, cleanse me, forgive me of anything that has come out of my mouth, in my eyes or ears, anything that in any way would hinder you using me as a vessel today. And Lord, I pray that not only for me, but I pray that for everyone who's listening, that the hearts would be prepared and made fertile like a garden that's been tilled to be ready to receive the seed, that the seed of what you would have to say today would fall on good ground. And Lord, that it would come for your glory. And we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. You can be seated. I want, to, I want to read the question again. Has it ever occurred to you that God may keep you financially where you are because He loves you and knows what money would do to you, to your marriage, to your family, to your life, to your soul? You know, when you're a missionary, when you're a missionary, the, the income, and my income was not a lot when we lived in Zimbabwe, but when I would go to church, I want you to hear me, there would be a crisis as to the amount of money that I would give. Now you would say, well, you just said, I can settle that, just give your tithe. My tithe given in a church situation would literally be more than the entire tithes and offerings of the congregation for a year. So to give my tithe to one church in Zimbabwe was the possibility of literally throwing that church into confusion. Uh, it would be like today we were coming, uh, well, Sheila, we came by and she, she, the other day she looked at me and she said, you know what today is? I said, what? I, did. I thought maybe I'd missed an anniversary, a birthday. Some, she said, this is the last day you can buy a lottery ticket. We came through there today, and she looked up there, and she said, I want to see how much it is today. It was $20, $20 million. And, she, and we said, well, I guess somebody won it. And she said, I wonder who won it. When we come out, get out of the car, come in across the parking lot, Sheila, I said, well, maybe we'll know because somebody will give a big chunk of money today. <laughs> but do you realize that if you won $800 million, nearly a billion dollars, it was $1.3 billion, and you decided to give your tithe this morning to this church, do you realize what confusion that would bring to this church immediately? it would redefine this church. In other words, if you gave $100 million and you said, you know, I want to tear down all these buildings, I want to build new buildings, state of the art, put a nice coffee set up out in the foyer out there, and uh, I want to have Carrie and Alan out there running our coffee facility, and uh, we're going to have state of the art children's facilities, and all kind. And you begin, and, and we designed this complex that just looked like it was almost out of outer space. It would not only redefine this church, it would redefine you and I. Part of who we are, I want you to listen, part of who we are is the stains on this ceiling, is the stains on this carpet. Part of who we are, our identity is this. You know, I, I, I shared last week about, I looked up and I made a comment about our ceilings. I went to eat with a man this week, and do you know what he handed me? He handed me $5,000 in cash. 
Sheila, get ready. We'll be going to the Bahamas after the Cernaltis. <laughs> so I gave it to Haley. But let me tell you what I did. I said, what do you want me to do with this? I said, do whatever you want to do with it. I said, well, um, you know, we had this thing Wednesday night. So we went by and we went on a spending spree and bought a bunch of supplies and stuff for the church and did some things and then brought the rest of it, gave the receipt and gave the rest of it to Haley to put. Haley's not here today, is she? We get no, I'm teasing. Uh, gave it to Haley to deposit. And you know why? Because some individual had come into money and they just said, and you know what I said? I, the, I, I said, well... I called the individual later because it wasn't the actual individual that gave. I, I called later on to say to her, thank you. And I said, we'll get tax or we'll get, you know, we'll put it down in giving. And I, you know what she did? She stopped me. She said, I'm not giving because of that. She's not a member of this church. She said, it has nothing to do with that. I don't care if it's in, I don't, I don't want no tax receipt, nothing. I just gave it because I love you and I love the Lord and I love what y'all are doing. That's somebody that knows how to handle their money. But for most of us, it would be a problem. And it was for Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus was a sad man. And you and I have talked about it. He was small in stature, little short man, but he was chief of the tax collectors. Think about that. Chief of the tax collectors. This man was a mover and shaker in Jericho, and Jericho was the equivalent of being de in Destin, uh, Florida, during that time. Jericho was a premier city in the Roman Empire. Zacchaeus was chief of the tax collectors. He had accumulated a great deal of wealth, popularity, but his popularity was not good. To the Jew, he was a traitor. To the Jew, he was a dishonest man that was in bed with the enemy, with the Roman Empire. He, got, he literally jacked up the taxes, gave the Romans what they want, and then took the cream of it, took it for himself. He wasn't good at it. He was so good at it that he was over to other tax collectors. He had a network of tax collectors. He was chief of the tax collectors. And let me tell you, I wrote this down. He got to the top of the ladder and there wasn't nothing there. He got to the top and there was only loneliness. There was no meaning. There was no purpose. There was no joy. There was no peace. There was no commitment, no contentment. There was nothing. He had everything, but he didn't have anything. He was a lonely, isolated man that had forfeited every relationship for the dollar. I remember one time I was speaking in Zimbabwe, Africa, and I looked at the Zimbabweans and said, I have America's God in my pocket. And man, every eye looked up. In fact, I was speaking in the language of the Shona people. Tererai, look this way. Tererai, listen. And then I pulled out a $1, a U.S. $1 bill, and I said, this is the God to a lot of Americans, and they'll sell their soul for it. Zacchaeus was a lonely, crippled man who had everything, but then he didn't have anything. 
I want you to take a left. I want you to keep your finger there on Luke. And I want you to go to the left, back in the Old Testament. And I want you to find the book Ecclesiastes. Back there, Ecclesiastes. Go past Proverbs. Get back over there, Psalms, Proverbs. And you'll come to a book called Ecclesiastes. I, I, I walk my dog every day, and sometimes I'll pull the Bible app up, and I'll listen. And so I've been listening to Ecclesiastes, and I want you to turn to Ecclesiastes chapter 5, beginning at verse 10. Now everybody look this way real quickly. Solomon wrote these words. Solomon is considered one of the wisest men in all the world. He's a wealthy man. He's the son of David. He's the king of the United Kingdom of Israel. He is so powerful that foreign dignitaries from Egypt, from all over, the queen of Sheba, everybody would come and sit at his feet just to glean from his wisdom. He was brilliant. But he had 700 wives, 300 concubines, and in an attempt to appease his political alliances and to appease his wives, he had built idolatrous pagan temples everywhere. He was a king that had everything, and yet he was a poor man in the eyes of God. Listen to what he said. The most powerful individual in Ecclesiastes chapter 5, beginning at verse, 20, verse 10, he said, Whoever loves money never has money enough. Whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with his income. This too is meaningless. As goods increase, so do those who consume them. And what benefit are they to the owner except to feast his eyes on them? The sleep of a laborer is sweet, whether he eats little or much, but the abundance of a rich man permits him no sleep. I've seen a grievous evil under the sun, wealth hoarded to the harm of its owner, or wealth lost through some misfortune, so that when he has a son, there's nothing left for him. Naked a man comes from his mother's womb, and as he comes, so he will depart. He takes nothing from his labor that he can carry in his hand. This, too, is a grievous evil. As a man comes, so he departs. And what does he gain since he toils for the wind? All his days he eats in darkness with great frustration, affliction, and anger. Then I realized that this, that it is good and proper for a man to eat and drink and to find satisfaction in his toilsome labor under the sun during the few days of life God has given him, for this is his lot. Moreover, when God gives any man wealth and possessions and enables him to enjoy them, to accept his lot, to be happy in his work, this is the gift of God. He seldom reflects on the days of his life because God keeps him occupied with gladness of heart. Wow. A brilliant Ph.D. multiple times over. Wealth, as one man looked at me one day, you know what he said? He would look at me sometime. He used to be a member of this church. He would say, I'm set to inherit a, 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 inherit a fortune. He said, if my grandmother went to the bank and, and took her money out, it would shut the bank down. It would cripple it. 
And there came a day, not long after that, a couple of years later, we sat in a restaurant and he looked at me and he wept and cried. And he said, my dad squandered my grandmother's millions away in gambling and we didn't know it until he died. Solomon had everything. Zacchaeus had everything. Zacchaeus discovered something and we said it, that you never get enough. That's what Ecclesiastes, that's what Solomon said. There's never enough and it never satisfies. You remember last week, we looked at this rich farmer in Luke chapter 12. And you remember that farmer? He sat there one day as the crops were coming in and he looked at his massive crop and his, and his workers came and they said, we got a problem. And he said, what is it? We do not have enough barns to store the crop. He said, I'll tell you what we'll do. It never occurred to him to give any of it away. It never occurred to him to see the blessings of God as something that God had entrusted into his care to give to other people. No, instead he said, I'll tell you what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns and I'll build bigger barns. And Jesus said in Luke chapter 12, he said, Thou fool, even tonight thy soul will be required of thee. And what can you give in exchange for your soul? Solomon said he had everything that money could buy and yet he was empty and he was lonely and he was isolated and so was Zacchaeus. I wrote this down, our nation's wealth, capitalism, free enterprise, our markets are driven by covetousness. In other words, we have an enemy. And that enemy loves to convince you and I that the car we drive is not sufficient. The place that we live, the house that we live in is not enough. That we don't have enough and we need more and the constantly on TV is right before you parade it. Something that triggers that covetous spirit in you and I. I looked at Sheila and I said, think about this. Let's think about it. Be honest. $1.3 billion lottery. And probably for every one of us, we think, if I had that money, what I could do. You remember what I told you last week? If you're not doing it with what little God's given you now, what makes you think God's going to let you win $1.3 billion? If you don't do it with what you got now, you ain't going to do it with that either. In fact, let me tell you something about human nature. Because we've had these discussions. You think to yourself, you know, if I won $1.3 billion, you may think for a moment what you would do with it, but immediately, you know what the primary thought is? It's this, I wouldn't tell anybody I want it. And you know why you wouldn't tell anybody you want it? Because they would all be coming and asking you for something. And you see, you know what that is? Already that's greed, hoarding hanging on to. I wouldn't want my family, I wouldn't want my friends to get any of my money. Oh, I'd do some good things, but I wouldn't want nobody to know it. Yeah, sure. You see, that, that's our nature. Zacchaeus lived his life like that. Zacchaeus discovered what the rich man and Lazarus. You know, Zacchaeus understood this. He had, he had no relationships. He had no family. He had nothing. He had forfeited it all for the sake of a dollar. He didn't have anything. And he, it was never enough. He was never satisfied. He discovered what our rich man. You remember the rich man and Lazarus in Luke 16? You know what the rich would do? They wiped their hands on the bread. And then they threw it off the balcony where they were sitting and he was entertaining his guests. And he had Calvin Klein underwear, you remember, 
We talked about that last week. And, and, and the rich man's wife, hey, did you notice the rich man doesn't have a name? You know why he doesn't have a name? Listen, because he is not written in the Lamb's book of life. Lazarus has a name. He's poor, covered in sores. Dogs are coming in there. They're, hey, listen, they're showing him more mercy than the rich man. Rich man's wiping his hands on his bread, and they're laughing and throwing it off to Lazarus, this poor man. And the Bible says in a matter of, just like our man a moment ago, our rich farmer, in a moment, the rich man's in hell. And he's begging God for mercy. And he sees Lazarus over in heaven. He says, God, if you'll just let Lazarus just dip the tip of his finger and quench my thirst. And God says, can't do that. You had all those blessings. You had all those opportunities. You could have been invested into the kingdom of God, but you hoarded it and you hung, up, you hung on to it and you showed no mercy. And God said, now there's a gulf fixed between heaven and hell. Lazarus can't get to you. And the rich man cries out and said, Oh God, then send him back to my brothers so that they can be warned. And Jesus Christ said of this man, God said, If they won't listen to Moses and the prophets, they won't listen if one rises from the dead. You know what Jesus was saying? It wouldn't matter if I rise from the dead. They'll still not believe. You know what the Bible warns us? The Bible says the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. How many of us were heartbroken? 84-year-old woman, if I understand correctly, Therese, I'd love to hear your take on this from the news perspective. But as I understand, an 84-year-old woman went through a traumatic event in a parking lot where a purse was being ripped from her, and she was in such disarray. She was so broken, so afraid that ambulance came. They tried to attend to her, tried to get her in the vehicle, tried to carry her to the hospital. She refused that, got on the wrong side of the interstate, climbed, came over a hill going at a normal rate of speed I'm sure plowed into another person and her and another lady were killed is that not correct let me tell you why because of some greedy covetous person who took advantage of an elderly woman do you know how many people how many black and white elderly men and women have been drugged how many women have been drugged with their purses trying to cling and hang on our church secretary went through the same thing over to walmart and you may say why because that's a covetous spirit and satan loves that and zacchaeus had lived his life that way the writer of ecclesiastes solomon he lives that way isn't it interesting take a left from luke 19 look at luke chapter 4 Look at Luke chapter 4, verses, beginning at verse 1. This is the temptation of Jesus Christ. This is a classic example of Satan doing what he does best. And I want to do this real quickly because there, I want to close this on the right note today. In Luke chapter 4, beginning at verse 1, Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan, was led by the Spirit in the desert where for 40 days he was tempted by the devil. He ate nothing during those days. At the end of them, he was hungry. The devil said to him, you can just hear that gravelly voice, you are the Son of God. Tell the story. 
Jesus answered out of Deuteronomy. It is written, Man does not live on bread alone. Wow. The devil led him up to a high place and showed him, look at this, watch this, showed him in an instant all the kingdoms of the world. And he said to him, I will give you all their authority and splendor. For it has been mine, it has been given to me. And I can give it to anyone I want to. So if you worship me, it will all be yours. Jesus answered, It is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve him. Everybody look this way. That's Satan. That's the devil. He starts with that carnal appetite. He said, let your flesh, let your carnal appetite be ruled. Take your power and turn that stone. That stone, in the language in the Greek, it meant that stone right there. Turn that stone into bread. Meet that need. Because listen, that's how Satan worked all the way back in the garden. When he looked at Eve and he said, did God really say? And the Bible says that Eve looked at the fruit and said this, it will make me wise as God, and on top of that, it's just good to eat. You remember in the Exodus wandering, what did the people keep griping about? Here Moses was leading them to the promised land, but all they could think about was all that salad bar back in Egypt. They didn't think about the mud pits. They didn't think about the slavery. They thought about the salad bar back in, back in Egypt. You see, that's the way Satan works. But then Satan does something. He shows Jesus, look at this. He shows him the kingdoms of the entire world. Now, I'm not sure about all the theology of this, but I'm telling you this much. He is the prince of the air. He is prince of this fallen, sin-filled cosmos world. Jesus came to take the title deed of what man lost all the way back in the garden. Satan shows Jesus the kingdoms of the world, shows him all the wealth, all the splendor, shows him everything, and he says, listen, this is mine. This is my government, my country, my nations, my world. You want popularity? You want money? You want stuff? You want to rule the world? Then bow down to me, and I'll give it to you. And my friend, every day, Satan makes deals with men and women who simply look and say, I'll do it. One of the saddest funerals that I ever, I listened to the whole thing and wept, was Whitney Houston. Her breath was, I mean, her, her voice was captivating. She was unbelievable. But she was in a music in, industry that stretched her voice to the limit and in essence took everything they could get out of her. C.C. Winan, the Winans, spoke at her funeral. And C.C. Winan talked about the fact that at a time when 
Whitney and she, and they were singing godly gospel songs that she begged Whitney Houston, this beautiful African-American Christian gospel singer that to this day can bring down this building with her songs. She begged Whitney Houston, Whitney, do not go the route of secular music. Stay with us. You've got an unbelievable talent. Let's continue to sing songs that will give glory to Jesus Christ. And Whitney Houston went the other way and died to Satan what Satan does best. Died in a bathtub, overdosed, the night before the 2012 Grammy Awards. And her daughter followed the exact same death. You have an enemy. And so let me, let me, let me share some things here because this is important. Zacchaeus was a lonely man. He had no relationships. His money, his stuff, his earthly possessions did not mean anything to him. And so Luke 19, this master historian, geographically correct, historically correct, says that this chief of tax collectors, his small stature, that in Luke 19, 3, that he went and he climbed a sycamore fig tree. And he got up into that tree and he positioned himself just like this where a roadway here. He positioned himself and he clung to that branch and he waited. And let me tell you something, no Jewish man runs. That's about like the Queen of England running. The only time a Jewish man ran was when the father ran to meet the prodigal son. Zacchaeus ran ahead of the crowd. This man of pomp and splendor. This man that was wealthy, multi-millionaire. This man that could buy out anything. Chief of the tax collectors. Clinging to a tree and waiting and watching for Jesus to come. He would do what, he listened. He would do whatever it took to see Jesus. Can I ask you something? What would it take for you today? What would you have to give up? What keeps you from seeing Jesus? How many of us would give anything? You know what I tell you know what I say sometimes sitting there praying in this room by myself. I look up toward heaven and say, God, I'll give you five years, ten years of my life for five minutes with you sitting here because I have some questions, God, that are just weighing on my heart and I don't know what to do. You ever think that? Oh, if I could just have a few minutes physically. As Job said, oh, that God were a man that I could sit down and reason with him. Zacchaeus ran ahead. He climbed that tree. But what keeps you from Jesus? A friendship? A job? A hobby? A sport? Kids? Some people live and breathe. They idolize. Their, their children are idols. They run them here, run them there. Soccer, baseball, softball. They're just running them everywhere. Little idols that God's put on a back burner. Sheila and I were cleaning out the attic this week. Found a big box full of trophies. Baseballs, home run hit here. State here, state championship here. All-stars here, all-stars there. Picking that stuff up toting it down there and trying to figure out what to do with it. College scout called one day and said, son, you're the best glove in the state of Mississippi. 
But I thank God today that he's not throwing a baseball, he's playing a guitar. Some parents would do everything they can. Zacchaeus said, I'm, I, I, I'm, I'm tired of my life. I don't want to live this way anymore. And he just began to give it up. He began to run ahead of him. Who is keeping you today from the Lord? What's the crowd? The Bible said the crowd kept him. You know why? He wasn't just small in stature. He, was doing, he had spent his life doing this. Because all the money in the world... Nothing, nothing could change his stature. Nothing could buy him an inch. He had lived his life being made fun of, ridiculed, and he made a decision probably a long time ago. I'm going to show people. I'm going to show people. I'm going to show these people. But now he is clinging to the tree, looking for Jesus. What crowd, what crowd is keeping you from experiencing Jesus Christ right now? He was willing to do whatever it took. He ran ahead, he climbed a tree. There was nothing that he wouldn't do. And don't you love this? Don't you love this? Can't you just see this scene? You know, they were on their way to Jerusalem. So this is an entourage, a large gathering of people. These were, these were uh, a mass of pilgrims, people that were on their way to Jerusalem for a festival. Uh, the people of Jericho would come out. If they knew some of their family were on their way to Jerusalem for the festival, they would come out and, there's, you know, they'd see their relatives coming and begin to shout. So the, 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 the streets were lined with a mass of people. There were people everywhere. And then on top of this is Galilee and this Nazarene fisherman. I meant this Nazarene carpenter with a handful of fishermen and a motley group were penniless, homeless, coming through the city of Jericho. But people had said, he loves tax collectors. <laughs> and they're all gathered. Don't you love this? Zacchaeus doesn't want to be seen. He just thinks to himself when he climbs that tree, I just want to see him. I just want to catch a glimpse of him when he goes by. I don't expect him to heal me. I don't need healing. I just want somebody to look at me and love me. Here he comes. Zacchaeus is he's, he's crouched, crouched down. And all of a sudden, Jesus gets right here. Oh, I love this scene. Crowds pushing and pressing. Looks up in the sycamore tree. It says, Zacchaeus. <laughs> <laughs> I think he laughs, Zacchaeus. Go, Zacchaeus, come on down here. I'm eating at your house today. And he says, I'm staying with you. You know what that meant? I'm not just going to Jerry and Marge's to eat lunch. 
That's me having the audacity to say, Jerry, March, I'm going to come spend a few days at your house. Don't you love people that just invite themselves? <laughs> Zacchaeus came down. That's a poor rendition of Jesus, but he just came down and got to his house and you can just see the excitement in him. He just gets everything ready, gets the meal ready. He probably had servants, probably had all kinds of, you know, and they get everything ready. And Jesus just loves on Zacchaeus and finally Zacchaeus said, Lord, he said, if, if, if I've stolen from anybody, if I've done wrong, then Lord, I'm sorry. And Levitical law says that I'm to repay them four times over which is what David said. You remember when Nathan confronted him? He said, the man who took that little lamb needs to restore four times over. That was Levitical law. But then he looked at Jesus. He said, half my possessions, I just give it away. You know what Jesus said? Today, salvation has come to this house. Because he's the son of David. He's the son of Abraham. And then he said this, and the Son of Man came to seek and to save that which was lost. That's what he's called us to do. And radical transformation. He was radically transformed. The entire city of Jericho, everybody was talking about, have you seen Zacchaeus? (laughs) What? Have you seen Zacchaeus? The chief tax collector. Have you, seen, have you seen him lately? He's not the same man. Have you had that radical transformation? Can, do you have to say to somebody, I'm a Christian, or they just, if you, even if you said it, they'd smile and go, hey, I know you are. <laughs> I can tell it. And are you seeking and saving the lost? Because we're in a broken, hurting world that sure needs somebody to love on them a little bit. Let's stand. Our Heavenly Father, we just come to You, and Lord, we thank You that You love us. We think about Solomon, dear Lord, this wise man, this son of King David, this one who built the temple for God there in Jerusalem, this individual of great power and might and strength who cries out in Ecclesiastes that all the money in the world is not enough. Wealth does not give you happiness and contentment and peace. Solomon would say what Zacchaeus would understand and what we need to understand as well, that God, you've entrusted the things that we have to be used for your kingdom. If you give us a car, it's to figure out how to use it to bring a senior adult to church or pick up a child. If you give us the money and the means, sometimes it's to see a single mom at a gas pump who's putting $4.73 in her car in an old van and walking over and saying, look, let me, can I buy you a tank of gas? Seeing what we saw last week when we left here, a homeless person standing on a street corner saying we'll work for food.
man came in here a little while ago, and all I asked him to do was he wanted money. I said, listen, go get you a sausage biscuit, eat, drink a cup of coffee, sit with us for a few minutes, and if it's $6 gas you need, when, when we get through with our Bible study, a man will take you with a credit card and put fuel in your vehicle. He didn't have time for that. But Lord, in that moment, our hearts were right. We did the right thing. So Lord, may you help us to realize our health, our, our money, our finances, everything that we have. And Lord, I don't, I'm, I'm not doing this to get one dime out of anybody. I'm doing this to say to people that may we see ourselves as men and women who must see the Zacchaeuses of this world and must love them where they are. We refuse to label, we just love. In fact, let me say this. You can look this way and then I'll close. I was telling our men about a man who beat Mike Tyson. His name was Mitch Green. Well, he didn't beat Mike Tyson. He went the full 15 rounds or whatever with Mike Tyson. His name was Mitch Green. I think Mitch Green was known as the head of gangs in New York City. He was six foot five. He stayed with Tyson the whole time. After it was over with, years later, Tyson found out that he was in New York City. I meant uh, Mitch Green found out that Tyson was in New York City getting a leather jacket made and decided he'd pick a fight. Mike Tyson hit him and busted his eye socket, Mitch Green's eye socket, and his eye was hanging out. And I'm, I'm listening to this. And I love for people to get along. These two, these two men were just at odds. And I sat there watching that story. And then it said this. It said, Mitch Green, 2022, is now a Christian. And he now lives for the Lord. And I watched in an interview just recently where they were talking to him and they brought up all that between him and Mike Tyson and this big, massive African-American man who still looked like a, just a man's man. He was talking when all of a sudden, and I was showing Sheila this, when all of a sudden the, the guy, ESPN or whoever it was, said, well, you know, Tyson, you never know where he'll, where he'll show up. And all of a sudden they turned and looked, and Mike Tyson was sitting out in the congregation, out in the audience, and he looked at Mitch Green, and Mike Tyson smiled that big smile and waved at Mitch Green. Mitch Green broke out in this big smile, and he started laughing. And I thought, it was so good to see two men and one of them deeply changed by the gospel of Jesus Christ, so radically transformed, he wasn't even the same man. That's what Jesus can do. That's what he can do in your life, it's what he can do in others, if we tell him. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. You come, you come.